We commenced today's program, though, talking politics with the Washington Bureau Chief for Mother Jones Magazine, David Korn, who's also an MSNBC analyst, as well as author of American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy, and, of course, his newsletter, Our Land. Welcome back to Our Land. David Korn, how are you, sir? Oh, great to be with you, Tavis. I want to hear about you living with Jim Brown. <laughs> well, tune that in. sounds amazing. <laughs> I loved the Dirty Dozen and Jim Brown, and when he played football, too, when I was a kid. I, I remember all those movies so clearly and so well. He, what, a, what, a, what a great life this man had. No, to my mind, he was the GOAT. I mean, I don't know that anybody has ever done it better than he did. Uh, a complicated life, nonetheless. We'll talk about all of that uh, in hour two. So uh, uh, just listen on the app, David, in hour two. You can hear <laughs> the stories of my, of my living with Jim Brown uh, for a while until I found my own place here in L.A. About a year I lived with Jim uh, and uh, obviously spent a lot of time with him. So we'll do that in hour two with Stephen A. Smith uh, and a group of other uh, persons uh, when we get uh, there about 60 minutes from now. But I'm delighted to have David Korn on in this first hour. Um, I mentioned um, your book, David, American Psychosis, A Historical Investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy. Speaking of Republicans, as we all know, uh, big news this day. Uh, this day, it's trending already. Uh, Tim Scott uh, begins his presidential campaign today, adding to the list of Trump challengers. Obviously, what makes Tim Scott different is that he is an African American, African American from South Carolina, uh, and this is going to be it's going to be fun because there's a whole lot to talk about with a black man in the race for president now. On the Republican ticket, uh, let me let me just go big, and then we'll we'll narrow as we move through the hour. Your thoughts, just off 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 the break. Your thoughts about Tim Scott announcing he's running, David? Well, you know, it's I don't understand it in a way. I mean, yes, everybody, everyone who is in the Senate, when they look in the mirror, they see a president of the United States. <laughs> um, you know, given where Donald Trump and others have led the Republican Party in the last few years, oh, you know, particularly on issues of race, voter suppression, uh, you, you, I, I see not a lot of room, not a big lane for a black Republican. Now, we do know, and it's kind of interesting, that uh, Republican voters who are often accused of having racist ideas or supporting racist politicians love the opportunity, many of them do, to support and vote for a black Republican. You saw that with Herschel Walker in Georgia when he ran for Senate, mm -hmm. uh, because I think in some ways that you know, they can say, Steve, we're, we're not the party of racists. We are voting for a black Republican. But I think in, um, in general, it's not easy for black Republicans within the Republican Party. There are very few of them. You saw you know, a lot of the racism that Donald Trump has ex has expressed you know, first as a uh, a birther conspiracy theorist against uh, Barack Obama and what he said about uh, certain countries in Africa and the Caribbean uh, again and again and again he is and then you know he is, he he's dined with he dined with a a white supremacist and a pro Nazi uh, Hitler loving guy at, at Mar a Lago just last November. So I think the party, which has had the Southern strategy, we, we've talked about this in the past, in the 60s and 70s, to get white voters to leave the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party was in favor of civil rights. I mean, they has this long legacy of, of, of being racist. 
and um, and using race and racial buzzwords and and dog whistles and bullhorns to win elections. So I think that makes it very difficult for a black Republican to make a lot of headway. You know, Tim Scott's an attractive, charismatic candidate, but, um, you know, he hasn't, I have to say, he doesn't have much of a legislative record. I don't think he's taken a lot of gutsy stands. And in the aftermath of the George Floyd shooting and uh, uh, Michael Brown and BLN, he got together with Cory Booker, a Democratic senator from New Jersey, to try to put together a bill to deal with um, police abuse and police violence. And in the end, the negotiations fell apart because he was in some ways too supportive of, of, the, of, of the police and the, and the police union position. And so even there, where he tried to take a leadership position on a national issue, he ended up not delivering because he took the traditional Republican line on the matter. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he'll get good, you know, he's a good speech maker, uh, but I'm, you know, I, I don't know where this goes. And we, and I haven't even gotten to the, to like sort of the, the, the elephant in the room, the gorilla in the room, the Godzilla in the room. And that is anyone who gets close to threatening Donald Trump will get into a, you know, a tremendous mud wrestling match with Donald Trump. Yep. He will try to destroy that person. He will lie about that person. You know, he's targeting mainly uh, Ron DeSantis at the moment, the right. Florida governor who's supposed to announce later this week because he seems to be his most, you know, biggest threat to Donald Trump, who still leads in the polls. And um, so he can, he's kind of ignoring Tim Scott for now. And you know, he's taking a few pot shots at Nikki Haley, but not a lot. Yeah. But if either one of them get within, you know, of striking distance, you know, you're going to get into, you know, a hell of a skunk match with Trump. And I don't know how, whether Tim Scott or any of these other uh, Republicans have the fortitude and the savvy to to survive that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to talk about in this hour because I, I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt, um, but there are a number of things you said I want to unpack when we come forward because I think, I think Tim Scott's presence in this race complicates things in a variety of ways. I'll tell you uh, in a second why I feel that way. Let me just say up front um, that uh, David and I typically agree on everything. We disagree on one thing he said already. I do not think Tim Scott is charismatic. He may be attractive to some okay. people, but ain't nothing charismatic about Tim Scott, not the way he speaks, not the way he presents, and I ain't hating. I like the brother. I mean, on a personal level, we never, you know, we've always gotten along, but I don't think he's charismatic. That said, um, there are some questions I want to pose to David Corn when we come forward. One, how does a black Republican candidate navigate running in a race for a nomination of a party that is racist to its core? Did you see the comments that Daniel Perry, Daniel Penny made? Daniel Penny is the white guy who choked out Jordan Neely on the subway train. He has given his first interview. And in the interview, he says that he is not ashamed. He feels no shame about what he did. They asked him, would he do it again? He said, I would. He went on to say he was planning a trip to Africa before all this happened. So he's not racist. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. He's given his first interview to the New York Post, of all places, conservative publication. No surprise there. I told you last week Republicans were raising millions of dollars. Ron DeSantis in the lead, raising money for Daniel uh, Penny, uh, calling him a good Samaritan. This is the party in which Tim Scott is running for their nomination. How in the world does a black man navigate all the racism? And that's just the tip of the iceberg, the book bans and everything else. How does Tim Scott, as a black Republican, navigate 
running in a party like that for the nomination? That's one question. The other question is, um, I'm wondering whether or not Tim Scott benefits from the point that he is black. I hear David's point. But maybe because these good white folk on the, in, the, in the Republican Party want us to not see them as racist, strangely and ironically, a black man ends up benefiting potentially from being black, at least in these primaries. But then you get to the point that David made earlier. If you get too close to Donald Trump and you start messing with his numbers, he's going to turn on you. Well, that complicates things because now you're not turning on a bunch of white folk named Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or, or Asa Hutchinson. You're turning on a black man. And that gets interesting. It's going to be fascinating if Tim Scott uh, survives this thing for any length of time. A lot to unpack in this hour. Just getting started with David Korn on KBLA Talk 158. We are listening to the Washington Bureau, listening to right now, the Washington Bureau Chief for uh, Mother Jones Magazine, MSNBC analyst, author of the book American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy listening to him because he always has a lot to say, as we do here on KBLA. His name is David Korn, and I'm honored to have him on this program talking politics about a variety of things that we'll get to as we move through this hour. Uh, let me let me come back to this, though, in case you have not heard this. Um, Daniel Penny, uh, the young white guy who choked uh, the black Jordan Neely to death on that New York subway train, has given his first interview to the New York Post. Let me just give you a few things. Again, he has said, said in this interview um he said that um the confrontation as he calls it had nothing to do with race and i am not a white supremacist that's a quote um everybody who's ever met me can tell you i love all people i love all cultures i was actually planning a road trip through africa before this happened (laughs) now we got the africa reference okay um a bit more here I can tell you that the threats, the menacing, the terror that Jordan Neely introduced to that train has been well documented. Well, if you saw the video, there was none of that. He wasn't threatening anybody. That's a lie. It's tragic what happened to him. Hopefully we can change the system that so desperately failed us. So it's not your fault that you choked him to death. It's the system's fault. Now I grant you the system's got a lot of issues. And we ought to hold the system accountable. But the system did not literally choke the life out of him on a subway train. I love that phrase. It's tragic what happened to him. What happened to him? No, you choked him. You killed him. It's tragic what happened to him. Okay. When asked if he would do it again, he nodded affirmatively and said, I would. If there was a threat and danger in the present. I judge a person based on their character. I'm not a white supremacist. Another quote from Daniel Penny. Uh, David Cohen, I digress for the moment and pass the mic to you. How does Tim Scott (laughs) run for president in a party that is rallying around this guy and raising millions of dollars for his legal defense? Say nothing of all the other things that we could point to again, the book ban and all the Trump stuff and all the DeSantis stuff. We can do this all day long. How does a black guy run for president in that party? You know, I, I, I don't see it. I mean, we've talked about this. Uh, the party um, has had tremendous strains of racism animating, illuminating, fueling the party, you know, not just under Trump, but in going back 70, 80 years, which is part of the point of my book, American Psychosis. Mm-hmm. And it's just not a party that's been amenable 
to black people, either outside the party or within it. Now, there are a few, there are a few black Republicans, but they are very, very limited in number. And I think that, that there's a strong reason for that. Now, um, you know, Tim Scott is, you know, runs, you know, this is, there's an interesting dynamic here. We talked a little bit about it in the first block. Mm-hmm. You know, Tim Scott runs as a black Republican who claims and who says the Republican Party is not racist. Mm-hmm. Now, I think a lot of people within the Republican Party like that message. They, you know, even though they exploit race and encourage race and maybe racist themselves, they don't like being called out or being thought of as being racist. Mm-hmm. So when you have a black guy, a black Republican, say, I'm a Republican and we're not racist, they like that. You know, that's like, you know, I take a white Ways racist saying some of my best friends are black, right? <laughs> yeah. It's sort, of the, yeah. it's sort of the reverse of that, right? And so, 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 the, so, 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 Tim Scott, by you know, claiming that this critique that you and I have of the Republican Party is false, and that he himself is the embodiment of that argument that it's false, he gets some points, and people like that. Now, I don't think that's enough for him to win over you know, majority or plurality of, of Republican voters when Trump is running and DeSantis is running and who else, who knows, is in the race. But that does get him a lot of goodwill. And, you know, I hate talking about it in these terms because I do think when people run for president, they think they're going to be president. Sure. It's really amazing how many, you know, because basically 95% of them are wrong. Mm. You know, most people who run for president don't become president, but they all think they will. So they're all wrong except for one person once in a while. But, um, you know, I could see, you know, uh, you know, a Republican nominee looking at him and as a vice presidential pick, about then, you know, who, who, who then creates this sort of um, immunity for the yeah. head of a racist party. So you can call us racist. Look, we got Tim Scott on the ticket. I'm going to Africa. It's the same sort of thing, right? Yeah. I was, I was going to say, I'm glad you went there that, um, uh, to your point that everybody runs because they want to be president, I'm sure Tim Scott wants to be president. He can't believe that, that the party would nominate him, but maybe this is the move for him to, to be considered as vice president um, and to be on the ticket. Maybe that's what it's about. I don't know. Uh, of course, he would never say that publicly, but that may be his motivation. Uh, who knows? Let me ask you, though, whether or not you think in the short run, in the primary season, that his being black and all that this party is up against does, in fact, work to his advantage with certain voters. You know, I think there are a lot of, you know, Republican voters who want to vote for a black man who says you are not racist. Right. And, but, I, but, you know, I think in general. But I'm not sure that means he will be their first choice if they can choose um, between Trump or DeSantis or maybe even Nikki Haley. But I because I, I, I do think, you know, one of the primary, you know, primary ideas that they have is they want someone who can win the general election. Right. And I think as someone who's part of a, of a, of a party with, with all the racist elements that the Republican Party has, they're going to probably believe that even though Barack Obama won, that a black guy still can't win the presidency. Um, so, I don't know. I, 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 I think, you know, we went back, you know, we talked about the Herschel Walker case a few sure. moments ago. I think, you know, he was the only choice Georgia Republican voters had. Like, there was, you know, they... Um, in the general election. So they voted for him in large numbers. Um, but I don't think in general 
Tim Scott has, a, a, he's going to have a big base of support. I just, I just don't yeah. see it. When you, can, you know, the party, when you, when you can choose a demagogue like DeSantis or Trump, I don't know why most people in the party would go for Tim Scott. We will talk about the uh, the demagogue DeSantis in a moment here. I got two minutes before news, traffic, and sports. Let me ask you right quick. What kind of spotlight do you think this puts on black conservatives uh, writ large? You mentioned there's not a whole lot of them. You can put them all in one phone booth probably. Uh, but for those that do exist, um, I, I think this does put a spotlight on uh, black conservatives. Uh, Larry Elder, by the way, is already in this race. I mean, so Tim Scott's not yeah. the first black conservative to run. Larry Elder, who radio talk show host here in L.A. for years, ran for governor against Gavin Newsom, lost that race. He's already in the race running. He's quoted heavily uh, in the New York Times today about uh, being joined now by another black conservative, uh, Tim Scott, in this race. The, the question right quick is what spotlight you think this puts on black conservatives? It's really interesting because I think, like like white conservatives, black conservatives have often you know often are very opportunistic when it comes to their you know their their you know their own positions in the conservative world. Right. And so you know if you, they, they often want to go with a winner. And right. You want that winner, you know, because they get a job or they get access to the White House. And so, are you going to pick a guy who's far back in the pack because he's black? Uh, and, you know, it's part of your world. Or are you going to still stay with Trump or DeSantis because you think that's the wave that will get you access, influence, jobs, money, whatever it might be? So I, I think a lot of black conservatives will probably be very respectful of Tim Scott. But at the end of the day, I don't know how many of them are going to come out and really say, no, yeah. get Trump and DeSantis, go with this guy. Speaking of Larry Elder, um, I don't know uh, whether his campaign will get off the ground at all. Uh, I can tell you this, knowing him and knowing Tim Scott, uh, that uh, if he's on debate stage, he'll he'll clean their clocks. Um, he's a talk show host and he's good at it. Uh, so when it yeah. comes when it comes to presenting, uh, Tim Scott can't hold a candle um, to Larry Elder in that regard. And to your point, doesn't have much of a policy uh, platform to stand on. So we'll see. At the very least, uh, uh, at the very least, uh, uh, David Corn, this should be interesting and entertaining, <laughs> if nothing else, to see these two black guys on a debate stage. Uh, with the other good white folk, I, I look forward to that. Uh, get my popcorn out uh, for that uh, for the, for those debates. Uh, we'll see how that how that works out. When we come forward, not to mention my quick though, Herman Cain. Uh, in case you were trying to think, who's the last black conservative run president? It was Herman Cain, uh, and uh, Herman Cain, of course, uh, passed away after going to a Trump rally in Arizona when nobody was wearing a mask, caught COVID, and died days later. Uh, but he was the last black conservative to run for president on the. Uh, Republican ticket. When we come forward, though, the NAACP has issued a travel advisory warning people, black folk, not to go to Florida because it's openly hostile toward African-Americans. Beware, they say, your life is not valued. We'll talk about this travel advisory from the NAACP to the state helmed by Ron DeSantis. When we come forward, David Korn on KBLA Talk 15. I'm Tavis Smiley. He is our guest in this hour, and his name is David Korn. He is the Washington Bureau Chief for Mother Jones Magazine. Uh, he's a New York Times bestselling author of several books, including his most recent text, American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy, has a newsletter called Our Land. He's a busy guy, uh, and I'm just honored to uh, have uh, an hour on his schedule today to talk about some trending national news stories. In case you've just tuned in, we've been talking about the announcement today by Tim Scott, uh, the only black Republican in the United States Senate, Announcing he is also in the race now for the Republican nomination 
um, for president. And so that should be interesting. Um, uh, the only African, the only conservative, only black conservative in the Senate, but Larry Elder, as I mentioned earlier, former talk show host uh, in this city, Larry Elder is also in that race. So uh, I, I was trying to think when the last time was that two Negroes are running for the nomination at the same time. Uh, but Larry Elder's in. Uh, and uh, now Tim Scott is in. And I mentioned moments before uh, news, sports, and traffic uh, that Herman Cain um, was one of the most recent black conservatives to run for president. I forgot Ben Carson. Uh, ben Carson ran as well and ended up becoming a member of the Trump administration, as you recall, uh, in his cabinet. So Herman Cain and Ben Carson, two most uh, recent black conservatives to run for their party's nomination. And now you got two more, Larry Elder uh, and officially Tim Scott as of today. That said, let me move now to Florida um, the NAACP has issued a trial advisory for Florida. Um, they've said that Florida is openly hostile toward African-Americans. They have said that we should beware that our life is not valued in the so-called sunshine state. You mentioned David Corn, the demagogue Ron DeSantis earlier, who we expect to announce he's running this week. So Tim Scott in today, the rest of the week at some point will belong to Ron DeSantis when he announces officially that he is in. He's uh, uh, convening uh, a bunch of uh, donors in Miami this week, and so we expect uh, his announcement to come momentarily here. Um, but uh, the NAACP says you might not want to travel to his state if you're African-American. Your thoughts, David Corn? Yeah, I mean, that is a pretty bad move on the part of the NAACP to say uh, black lives are not valued in Florida. That, that, is, that is a quote from the president, Derek Johnson, of the NAACP. And, you know, I think in some ways, for some of the same reasons, you could, you know, look at Texas and other places where it does seem that, you know, with gun safety issues, uh, uh, racist attacks, uh, attacks on LGBTQ folk, you know, problems with immigration, that they are sort of raising the temperature and raising the risk that people have, particularly people of color, people of, of the LGBTQ community uh, in, the, in these places. Uh, and it's, you know, in some ways, you know, this has been you know, the wrong track for America. And I think we need to, you know, look at what's happening with women's rights as well, women's freedoms being curtailed in certain states. And it does seem where, you know, my overall fear here is that we're developing, you know, two different Americas, maybe even more than two, in which, you know, some places there, there's more tolerance, there's more concerned about violence, there's more concerned about, about race-motivated violence, and other places where they just kind of say, let it rip. Yep. When you, you know, the wild, old Wild West days. Yep. When you say that we're creating um, uh, two Americas and maybe more than two Americas, I want to get uh, your take, David, uh, on what you mean by that. I, I, I think I get it. Uh, but when you say that we are creating uh, two Americas and maybe even more than two, unpack the latter part of that comment for me. Yeah, I mean, we've always talked about two Americas. Sometimes it's poverty. Sometimes it's a matter of race. There's a black America. There's white America. There's also, you know, a, a brown America, a yellow American, uh, a Jewish America. I mean, we've always talked about the different types of America uh, that are out there, demographically speaking. But now I think, it, you know, those are always based on, on, on groups. You know, now I'm worrying if almost culturally we're creating Amer different Americas with different values 
right? Where we're one part of America where they welcome immigrants and, and people of different color and different backgrounds and different orientations and different ideas, don't want to ban books, right? And allow women the choice and other parts of America where they don't want to do any of that. And it's more, uh, you know, culturally conservative, uh, might be more racist. And, you know, as, as this develops, it's, 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 you know, it's not only bad for these other Americas that I'm talking about, right. but it shows that we're losing, all, we're losing hold of what you might want to think of as communal values that might bring a country together. If, you know, if we can agree that we should have a tolerant society, then that's an American value. And we can all agree that that's one thing that makes America America. But if we can't agree on something like that, yeah. then we start splitting into these, you know, different uh, ideas of what America is. And it makes it very hard to get together and problem solve on issues of uh, housing, economic inequality, on climate change, right? All those things. If you're not sharing some basic values, you don't feel that commonality of a nation. And that's what I see happening. So when you, you know, when, when, a, when, a, when, when, when the, the premier civil rights organization, the NACP, NAACP, the NAACP, you know, gets out there and says, we don't feel black lives are being valued in one of the biggest states in the country. That's a problem. Yeah. Speaking of a problem, um, Ron DeSantis has a big problem, which is that, as you know, in every poll, study and survey, he isn't just trailing Donald Trump. He's trailing Donald Trump badly. And even after the indictment, the arraignment, uh, the arrest, uh, Donald Trump's numbers uh, uh, leaped even uh, more greatly uh, over Ron DeSantis. So he's trailing badly. To your earlier point, all these guys look in a mirror and they see the next president of the United States. I get it. But what's the calculus uh, in the state of Florida, specifically where Donald Trump resides at Mar-a-Lago? What is the calculus, you think, on DeSantis' part of getting into a race where you know you're polling badly behind Trump all across the country? You know, I, I, I thought there was a good chance DeSantis would not get in the race, mm -hmm. mainly because if you get in the race, you know, Trump is leading. You get into this nuclear war with Trump. He loves to fight dirty. He loves to be in the gutter. He prevails when he's in the gutter. And it's very hard for a normal person, not saying DeSantis is that normal, but very hard for a <laughs> non-Trump person to fight back that way and look good and, uh, and rise above it. So, you know, DeSantis' first challenge is to deal with a, the dirty fighting, mud-throwing, uh, say-anything uh, politics of, of Donald Trump and win and get enough votes to get the nomination. If that is to happen, then he has another problem. And that problem is Trump will not recognize and accept his loss in the primaries. If he loses, he will say that the elections were rigged by the Republican establishment. He will call his supporters, millions of people, to not support the nominee, to not give money to the Republicans, not give money to any Republican who supports the nominee. Mm -hmm. So whoever, if Trump isn't the nominee, whoever gets the nomination will likely have to fight going into the November election against the Democrat, Joe Biden, whoever it might be, and against Trump, who will not stop campaigning and will have a vendetta against whoever defeats him. So that's a very 
difficult dynamic for anybody to win, particularly if the race is going to be close again. And those swing states of Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada that that we always in Wisconsin that we always talk about. Because if you lose, you know, a couple million votes, because yeah. Trump says stay home, you can't win those states. So I don't quite know what you know, DeSantis is doing, Maybe. other than yeah, other than saying. I something's going to happen to Trump. There you go. He's going to drop dead. There you he's go. Going to get indicted. There you he's go. Maybe jail. There and you eventually go. Eventually, people will see <laughs> that he shouldn't be the nominee. I think that's a big if. Yeah, I, I think it was a big if because even if he's indicted, he can keep running. Yeah, and you know, and the Republicans have been waiting for Donald Trump to drop dead for years now, and it hasn't yet happened. Yep, that's what I think the calculus is. When you when you're trailing as badly as as he is to Donald Trump in the polls already, um, many people are are referring to Donald Trump. Every guest I've had, in fact, has referred to Donald Trump as the presumptive Republican nominee. We'll get David Corn's take on that when we come forward. Whether he thinks that Trump is the presumptive Republican nominee, but if you if if, if everybody uh, believes that and the poll numbers seem to indicate that, indictments notwithstanding, then the main reason for DeSantis getting in is that at some point he believes that Trump is going to falter uh, and he becomes the next choice, the next man up, so to speak. We'll talk to, uh, more about it with David Corn when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. David Corn, you wrote the book American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy. Um, do you think that um, in the not too distant future you'll be writing a book about when they went crazier? <laughs> yeah, I you know it, it, it it's kind of sad in a way because I do think you know, the whole point of my book was that over the last seventy years the Republican Party has encouraged and exploited extremism long before Donald Trump hit the scene, and that almost on a daily or weekly basis the party goes further and further. To, you know, towards the side of nuttiness, you know, supporting QAnon. Donald Trump, you know, the other day praised Michael Flynn, the former National Security Advisor, who um, he, he who had to quit and mm-hmm. was prosecuted with the FBI and then pardoned by Trump. And Flynn is out there saying that, you know, all sorts of QAnon stuff, that vaccines are biological weapons, and he's really, you know, promoting Christian nationalism. And here is, you know, the leading Republican embracing this, very extreme, I would argue, crazy guy pushing a bunch of conspiracy theories. So there's no break at the moment on the parties lunging forward towards further and further extremism. And I assume it's going to come out um, throughout the the, the Republican primary, even as they turn on each other. And it was interesting, a a couple of weeks ago, some people in in the Trump camp accused Ron DeSantis of being a pedophile, and then some people in the Ron DeSantis camp accused Donald Trump of being a pedophile because he used to hang out with Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, there's just you know, you know, there's there's no there's no break, there's no hold on these people, and the craziness is just going to pour forth as this primary becomes more intense. Um, this primary is, in fact, going to become more intense, and so the focus will be to a great deal. The political focus will be to a great deal. Uh, on how that unfolds on the right. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Biden is still president, and uh, he's got the bully pulpit. Uh, and so the uh, the spotlight, of course, always remains on the president, and the spotlight right now is on him about this debt ceiling issue. So he and McCarthy are going back and forth, and every every 10 minutes I look at my phone. I'm looking at my phone right now trying to figure out what the latest is. But what's, what's your take on this, this back and forth, this tete-a-tete uh, between the president and the speaker about the debt ceiling? 
Well, one of the problems is is that it gets covered by the media as back and forth, yeah. as, you know, there are two sides here negotiating. What's happening here is that Republicans are doing what Democrats never, ever do, which is to threaten to not abide, not raise the debt ceiling, not pay our bills, and which could create a economic financial crisis that goes beyond the United States throughout the world. That's what they are threatening to do if Biden doesn't agree to spending cuts that they want, spending cuts that may even, you know, cut back money for veterans. So, you know, but we know they it gets covered as, there's negotiations in Washington. Republicans say this, Democrats say that. Who's going to win out in these negotiations? And what's the latest counteroffer? And that's the wrong frame. Mm. You know, if somebody, if, you know, if someone comes into your house and with, a, with, a, with, a, with, a, with gasoline and a lighter and starts sort of saying, I'm going to, you know, light up your house unless you, you know, give me money. You don't talk about that as there's negotiations between the people inside with the bucket of the gas and the people outside who don't want to see the house go up in flames. You know, but yet we make this sort of into a political fight. And I think, you know, you know, I think Democrats, every time this happens, they somehow never fully succeed in creating the right framework for this fight. And saying, hey, these guys are crazy. They want to blow up the economy, which means you may not get your social security check, you may not have a job, or your job may get lost, and we may have interest rates go even higher. We have more inflation because of this. They never, you know, they they say that to some degree, but they never succeed in really telling the full story or the true story of what's going on here now. And so then it gets bogged down negotiations because the Democrats are being responsible. They don't want to see the economy blown up, so they start dealing with the hostage-takers' demands so the hostage-taker doesn't start shooting the hostages. And... that's, that's my that, that's my fear right now, David. My fear right now is that the Democrats, um, including the president, uh, are starting to play to their demands. Um, they're 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 now negotiating with this hostage taker, uh, Kevin McCarthy, and I don't know where that ends us, um, or that lands us rather. So we'll we will see uh, where we end up um, if the president and Democrats start giving in to some of these outrageous demands uh, of this, as you put it, hostage taker. In our remaining moments with David Corn, when we come forward, you mentioned a moment ago uh, the American House uh, uh, going down in flames, going up in flames. I want to ask him, broadly speaking, uh, beyond this debt ceiling conversation, whether or not he thinks our democracy, our experiment in democracy, is going up in flames uh, his take on that. We wrap this conversation with David Korn in a moment on KBLA Talk 1580. Got three minutes left in conversation with David Korn, our guest this hour. Delighted to have him on. As always, uh, the Washington Bureau Chief for Mother Jones is he on air analyst, as you see all the time on MSNBC. And New York Times bestselling author of several books, including his most recent, American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy. And, of course, I love reading his newsletter. Our land uh, is uh, one or two exit uh, questions uh, I want to put to you, uh, David. Um, the, the big one is whether or not you think, given your earlier point, that um, Republicans always risk, you know, the American House going up in flames. It's not just them, just writ large. I'm asking whether or not you think our democracy is so fragile uh, that we are uh, uh, on the precipice uh, of watching this experiment in democracy go up in flames. I think it's more fragile than you and I probably would have assumed 10 years ago. Right. Right. I, I, yeah, I think, you know, uh, we thought, you know, especially if Obama gets elected, 
it's just think, okay, the country's in a decent place, our institutions are sound, and then Trump gets elected, and, you know, the Tea Party, too, you know, uh, as well, before him. And you see that extremism and authoritarianism and autocracy and race-driven politics have a much more long-standing and, and deeper roots in our society than some of us you know, had thought at the time. Um, so I do think, though, the last election showed, you know, both the glass being half full and half empty. Yeah. A lot of the major election deniers, you know, crazy conspiracy theorists who Trump had supported in Senate and gubernatorial races, lost, and a lot of them lost decisively. Yet the Republican Party in House elections, again, a lot of election deniers, won their races largely because of gerrymandering, but they still won, and there's still this, you know, threat from members of the House and others about our elections and wanting to take control of elections away from uh, local election boards yeah. and put it in the hands of politicians who could overturn results. So the bottom line here is, you know, we have to keep fighting for our democracy. We can't mm. become complacent. Yeah. The, the guardrails and the protections have to always be renewed, reestablished, and extended. Yeah. That is, you know, got 25 seconds here. Uh, let me close by asking my other exit question. <laughs> Whether or not you are ready, David Corn, for Biden-Trump part due. Uh, you know, I'm like everybody else. I, I, I'd like to see a different movie, but, um, you know, we get what we get. Yeah. And we can't decide, you know, it's not up to us who, who, who's going to be the nominees. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I mean, it's not my, not my favorite thing to do to cover a rematch. Yeah. I'd rather have, I'd rather watch a, a different movie as well, but I digress. Uh, David Corn again, uh, Washington Real Chief, Mother Jones, on-air analyst, MSNBC, author of American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy. Good to have you back on, David. We'll do it again somewhere down the road, brother. All the best to you. Okay. Great to be with you, Tavis. Take care. Great to have you on, my friend. Our...